Hey, welcome back, Box Breakers. Welcome to Living Box Free. I'm Ashley Insights, and I am joined this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, by Caroline Brookfield. Welcome, Caroline. Hi, thank you, Ashlyn. <laughs> I am so excited to talk to her. We are going to talk about creativity today, but don't be frightened. We're going to talk about creativity for non-creative people. So if you are like, I don't know if I'm a creative person, or you know people who are not creative, this episode is for you. So we'll introduce Caroline in a moment. Becky is once again letting me, giving me free reign to do an episode by myself. I don't, I don't know what she sees in me, but I, you know, I appreciate the trust that she's giving me. It's very kind. Uh, all right, so let's start with what we always start with. What's on the rise for us this week? I will, I'm going to go with the Little Mermaid. So I, I work for a big church, and every other year we put on a monster. Uh, musical like a like a broadway scale musical and it's it's professional basically professionally done i mean it's all volunteer stuff but it's like it's very very good and we're doing the little mermaid and i've never seen the show the little mermaid so i'm super excited to see it but uh we we launched tickets today the day that we're recording this and so i've been in the marketing for the little mermaid world so everything's been like under the sea this and part of your world that and uh, flotsam and jetsam and yeah it's been it's really fun but also I'm like I don't even know I haven't seen the show yet but I want to be surprised so yeah it'll be I know there are new songs in it that haven't that aren't in the movie and so I'm excited for that so that's what's been on the rise for me this week what about you Caroline oh I love that and how creative is that even just like using under the sea and flotsam and jetsam that's amazing <laughs> Um, mine's not quite so creative. The, what's on the rise for me, I think, is that's my son's birthday coming up next week, and he's okay. going to be 14. So he wanted to have a sleepover with two friends this weekend. So I am trying to, and um, one of them has specific dietary needs. So that's on my mind because I want to make sure I honor, you know, obviously the requirements that he has right. and try to make it fun for everybody. So that's what's on my mind. Nothing too yeah. deep. No, that makes sense that it's always an interesting balance between people's dietary needs and also our cultural expectations of celebration around food. And that's such a something Becky and I talk about a lot. It's such a fascinating thing. Um, my roommate's birthday was this past week and we're having a sort of a party tomorrow, but basically it's it's going to turn into everyone bring their own food because we're all like eating different things right now. <laughs> so that's that's how we've gotten around that. But yeah, it's always complicated, especially with kids. So yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and also it's, um, he's a uh, Muslim, so it's uh, halal. Yep. And okay. so trying to navigate that and, yeah. you know, learning an area that I've never, like the symbols I need to look for. And right. can I buy bulk, like I was going to do like a Sunday station, like can oh, I yeah. just buy bulk sprinkles? Like, I don't know. And if they say it's halal, but it's contaminated, you know, I just go down this yeah. rabbit hole of like overthinking. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a different journey. Yeah, yeah, I'm not familiar with that either, so that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Well, Caroline, I'm so excited to talk to you today about creativity, and you are calling us all the way from Alberta, so welcome. So glad to have you here. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, your background, what you're passionate about? Yeah, just introduce yourself. Great. Well. Um... It's funny because I seem probably like an unlikely creativity advocate. You know, I've been a veterinarian for 25 years, I guess it's been, what is it, 2022? I've got to do the math, like my age now. And, uh, you know, I 
love being a veterinarian and I love vet medicine, um, but I always felt like there was kind of something missing. And, uh, you know, over the last 10 years or so, I've kind of reconnected with this passion I had in high school for drama and performance and uh, even things like building a business, creating a podcast, writing a blog post, just the importance of creativity in our lives every day has inspired me to help share that with other people who might need that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And tell us about the journey. You've written a book. What was that journey? Yes. So I've been a speaker for about three years. And I've always known people said speakers should have a book. And I don't like doing things people tell me to do. And I, <laughs> I also didn't want to just write a book to have a book. Like, you know, so I'd always resisted this idea of writing a book. And then COVID hit. And, you know, as a speaker, that was obviously not the best. Right. And I thought maybe, maybe I should write a book. So I just started writing the chapters and they kind of flowed pretty naturally. And I thought maybe I do have a book that could help people and um, give me a way to focus my energy. Yeah. While you know, I had the time. And you self-published, which I understand is quite the journey. How was that? It is. So I looked at all kinds of options, except for going through a traditional publisher. I never even remotely considered that idea. I did thought it would be a waste of my time for many reasons. So I was always interested in self-publishing. And there's all these companies you can hire that will kind of like like lead you through the process. Um, but many of those solutions were like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars and I didn't have that those funds yep. to invest in something like that. So I thought, okay, well I'll I'll just do it myself. But I didn't want to publish something that was not of good quality. So I just took the time and investigated, um, did some research and interviewed a bunch of editors and built my own team basically. So it was a huge learning experience. I was very lucky that I had a student help me. So in Canada, we have this Canada Summer Jobs Program. Okay. And if you hire a student, the government will pay this past year, they paid 75% of that student's oh, wow. salary. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And it was fantastic. So I was able to hire um, Alexis, who was amazing. And she had just graduated with a degree in English with digital marketing as a minor. And she basically was my lifesaver, helping me organize things and keep me on track. And yeah. uh, that was that was amazing to have some help. Yeah, that's super cool. Tell us about your you personally, you have a family because we understand, you know, you have a son who's having a birthday. Tell us about that. So as you said, I live in Calgary, Alberta. So I'm from Ontario, kind of near Toronto originally. And I came out here for a summer and said, oh, I want to live near the mountains. So eventually I found my way here and then met my husband here. And uh, now we've been living here for 20 years. Wow. I have two teenage sons. Mm -hmm. One is 13, almost 14. The other one is 15, almost 16. And uh, it's, it's a real journey of... Um, challenge and thrill and keeping you on your toes every single day. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Awesome. All right. So you I mean, you mentioned kind of an interesting journey from veterinarian to talking about creativity. What was that? How did that happen? Walk us through that. <laughs> how how long do you have? <laughs> so so I guess, it, you know, starting back in high school where I, I as a kid, I'd always loved animals. And, you know, when I grew up in the 80s, it was like, what flavor of professional are you going to be? That was, you know, the way that you were, were, what the track you were on. And so because I loved animals, it seemed natural that I would become a veterinarian. And through high school, I did really like the biology and science. 
but I kind of hit this roadblock where, as I had mentioned, I developed this love for performance and drama, but this is before the internet. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know how would I become a cinematographer and I didn't really want to live like poverty. Like I didn't think I had the talent to become an actor and make that a sustainable career. And so it actually ironically seemed easier to be a vet, even though it's a really, really hard program. So I went on to veterinary medicine and I always felt like something was missing. And now looking back, it could be I I had a late diagnosis of ADHD, but I was always kind of looking for something else. So I did, uh, you know, some research for a while. I worked, um, you know, in small animal practice for a while. I worked in a zoo and wildlife, like all kinds of things. Yeah. And then one of my jobs um, was for a pet food company, and my job was to teach and educate uh, veterinarians about nutrition medicine, essentially, how nutrition can influence medical conditions. And I just loved teaching and speaking and being Mm. on stage. Yeah. And then people say, like, that's their worst fear. Right. I was like, well, if I like that and nobody else does, like, I should probably do that, right? (laughs) It seems logical to me. Yeah. (laughs) And so that seemed like the easy part and the hard part was like, who am I going to speak to and what am I going to exactly speak about and how's that all going to work? So that was many year. I won't bore you with the details on that. But that leads us to today where I still work as a veterinarian and uh, speak to people on creativity and trying to reach people who, like you had said earlier, don't think they're creative or they think creativity has to be something artistic or epic or but what I speak about is everyday creativity, which is accessible to every single human yeah. on the planet. That's awesome. I, yeah, I love that journey and the the different stages and that you tried so many different things and that it sounds to me like you're not afraid to try new things, which is one of my favorite qualities in a person. So that's awesome. Oh, um, I love just, that you love that. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so tell us this process of everyday creativity. Talk, talk to me. What does that mean? Right. So um, in the creativity research, and because of my background as a vet mm-hmm. and research-based, I really dive into the research behind it. And um, a lot of researchers in creativity space talk about this idea of little C or small C creativity versus big C or, or capital C creativity. And um, the big C creativity is things like, you know, Picasso or, you know, the Space Needle or whatever, like right. massive things. But little C is things like adding a dash of paprika to your scrambled eggs or picking the outfit for for the day or, you know, doodling while you're talking on the phone. And it's more the the neurobiological process of taking something in your brain and putting it into the world. Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) So how do we even do that? Like how, what, how does one begin to, to do that? Well, I think, Ashlyn, one of the things that I notice is that people are already doing it. They're just not calling it creativity for Mm. the most part. And I think that when we have this barrier or this roadblock for I'm not creative or I'm not doing anything creative, when you look at their day, you can point to a million different things like building a pivot table or writing copy for uh, ticket sales for a little mermaid. (laughs) Those are all things that are creative, but I think people don't you know, bring it to the forefront or they don't push it that next step because they just don't think of it as creativity. Yeah. So why is this important? Why are you passionate about communicating this? I became really passionate when I dove into the research into what the benefits are of everyday creativity. So Ruth Richards is one of the original researchers behind this idea of 
things that we do every day that are creative versus the epic big C okay. creativity. Yeah. And uh, when you look at the research, we know that uh, engaging in creative activities helps us feel happier. Mm -hmm. um, we know that in many different industries across different jobs, uh, exercising our everyday creativity, like making a meal or something simple, helps us build resilience and helps us bounce back from adversity. So I get so passionate about talking about that aspect because everybody's struggling with trying to find, you know, and it's not as simple as like do something creative and it'll solve all your problems. Right. It's more a puzzle piece that I think we don't consciously use um, and take time to use and that helps to build those muscles and build that um, that strength. Because when you think about creativity, if you're drawing a picture or making a meal or you know, writing a story about the Little Mermaid, you have no idea how that's going to turn out until you finish. Mm -hmm. So the creative process is, I say, building a resilience muscle so that when you step into uncertainty, when you step into that possibility of failure, you don't know how things are going to turn out as everything in life these days is, then you just become stronger and stronger at exercising that in all contexts in your life. Yeah. Which is terrifying, though, that feeling of, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how this is going to go. How do you even deal with that? I mean, then, not to mention the judgment possibilities from other people. So how do you deal with that? How do you even, yeah, I'm kind of taking us off course here, but I'm curious to know, <laughs> how do you okay. deal with those things? No, and I love this question, and it took me down a rabbit hole, that exact same question that you were talking about, and I found um, research on another dimension called tolerance of ambiguity. Okay. And so some people are naturally more tolerant to this uncertainty or how are things going to work mm. out than others, and you can build that muscle with intention. I happen to be very high in tolerance of ambiguity, which, as you really said, I just do all these things. I'm, to me, I'm like, what's the big deal? Like, I do a very quick objective risk mitigation. Like, am I going to die? Am I going to lose my house? <laughs> like, are, what are the bad things that could happen? And if they're not that bad, then I can go ahead. But yeah. I do see so many people paralyzed by this idea of how are things going to work out. So um, I think knowing that. Um, and for me, part of it is recreating that feeling. So, and, and being conscious of that feeling because we have so many layers of ways we respond to the world that we're not conscious of. So for instance, if I'm at the top of a ski run and it's harder than I usually go, I'm like, I'm nervous. Right. And I get the same physical feelings. Like I feel like I'm on the balls of my feet. I feel like I kind of want to shake my hands. I've had this kind of like bouncy feeling. And that's the same feeling I have when I'm working as a vet and I have to call someone with some bad news or someone who's upset about something. Like I, it's the same physical sensation. Mm. And once I realize I'm having that, I can say, oh, I'm feeling uncertain. I'm feeling a little anxious about how things are gonna turn out. And it allows me to then you know, in, embed some mindfulness practices and stop catastrophizing about what could be happening and just stay in the moment. Yeah. And it's interesting, we're going on a total tangent here, but I, yeah. you know, I love talking about this stuff. But part of, part of what's interesting about that is that that gives the space for creativity. Mm. Because now you're not thinking about what's happening, you're not worrying about what's gonna happen next or fearful about like the consequences, you're just in that moment. Which is ironically completely opposite to creativity, which is thinking about all of the possibilities. Huh. But what mindfulness does is it brings us back from the edge of that panic and that anxiety that pushes us into status quo solutions. And it allows us to be like, no, I'm okay right now. 
Now, how could this be different? I love that. And it gets you out of that, that fight or flight mode, too, and into being able to think about it rationally and say, okay, we, this doesn't have to be the way it is. Let's, let's think about that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. exactly it, Ashlyn. Yeah. yeah. What are your, I know we're still off topic, but what, okay. what are your go-to mindfulness exercises? I'm just curious. Um, in the moment, I try to do that. What is it? Like C5 things, here four things. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Is it C5 things? I probably only get halfway through it, but it's like C5 <laughs> things, here four things, touch three things. Like, it's just like this, yeah. you know, I do that occasionally. Um, I meditate every day. So I do like a mindfulness meditation practice, okay. like, you know, preventatively, I guess, preventatively. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in the moment, I try to take deep breaths and I try to, um, like, sl- like, turn my life into slow motion. I do that a lot mm-hmm. with um, when I'm in a emotionally heated conversation with someone, especially when I'm working as a vet. Um, I try to just like slow, almost like it feels like I'm moving through water. I try mm-hmm. to force myself to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. How about you? Do you have any practices? Um, I have some that I use uh, not often enough, <laughs> which I think is the, bre- I mean, the deep breathing is obvious. Um, and then counting, you know, counting, how how many in and how many out and hold and that kind of thing um tapping of like feet back and forth can help me or tapping my hands on my knees Mm -hmm. um like right hand left hand right hand left hand and it just it gets my brain out of that flight fight or flight mode and back into okay here we are in the body everything's fine no one is actually coming after you because it's that you know it's that caveman sensation of like there's danger i need to deal with it and in reality i don't and that's, it's so hard for me to remember in that moment and to, to actually practice those things. But well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's hard in that moment because we've been programmed for however many years to react that way because right. that's what helped us survive. And, you know, you had talked earlier about judgment and this is a great place to talk about that because at one point, if we were judged and, and outcast from our group, we would die. We would have died mm-hmm. from survival or from uh, predation or uh, starvation and so I think we have this very deeply embedded instinct to avoid negative judgment. Yeah. I, I call it an outdated operating system, you know, like it's like that's how we operate, but we have this big brain. And so how can we, you know, tap our fingers or take a deep breath and realize, no, no, this is not going to, I'm not going to die if I'm in, on a stage giving a presentation in front of my colleagues and right. I, you know, Art or something, you know, right. like that's, I mean, not that you want to do that, but just like if, <laughs> if I bomb or if I mispronounce, you know, this leading indicator or whatever in this presentation, yeah. but we do, we feel, we feel judgment like physical pain. And hmm. it's very hard to get away from that if we don't take that time, like you were saying, to sit in the moment and think, no, I'm okay. Like I'm okay here. Yeah. I think it's especially funny to me when I can back out, like if I'm in a meeting at work and we're talking about like how many social media posts and for whatever reason, it just becomes emotional and we get, you know, we're in a fight. And I'm like, if I can successfully back out from that conversation and be like, we are currently upset. And I feel like I'm being attacked because we're discussing either three social media posts or four this week. Like this is ridiculous, you know? And I think sometimes if I can back out and look at it logically, I'm like, yeah, that's, I can calm down. It's going to be fine. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it is I, I really hear hard that. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's awesome. very hard. Well, let's back up a little bit. You in your book and on your website, you talk about 
ways to do this that you have a um, acronym talk us through that yeah so my acronym is dance thank you to technology for some website that i don't remember name of where you could put in all of all of the like words you want and it'll give you a like there's everything you could do that on the internet so um yeah so i have an acronym it it's really for people who know they need to be creative because of the benefits to mental health but also what i didn't mention is for job security job satisfaction Mm. salary like there's so many other benefits aside from personal benefits to creativity so for people who are like i see the writing on the wall like we have enough robots i want to be more human but they might not want to sit down and do like um you know the perennial artist sway which is a great book but it's heavy, like it's heavy and many, lots of lots of pages and lots of yeah. uh, activities. So um, so mine is just a few things, f- takes a few minutes a day, stuff that you're already doing and it spells dance. So the first letter for D is daydream. With our devices, how many of us just put our phones down and look out the window for a few minutes and let our minds wander, right? I don't not know. Not very often. Yeah. Not very often. If you're on the train or in line, everybody's on their phone, you know, filling it up with tasks and activities. But we have this really neat part of our brain called the default mode network. Mm-hmm. And that is, that was discovered by accident, but that's happening when we don't, we can't feel it. So when we're daydreaming, our brain is um, trying to collect all these different experiences and put them together and come up with a very unique idea. I mean, that's why a lot of people will say they go to sleep, go to bed on a problem and they wake up with a solution or yeah. um, they think of something in the shower because yep. they're really, you know, not doing it. They're on their phone. Hopefully yeah. maybe you can be on your phone in the shower. Um, so that's D. A is for ambiguity, which we briefly talked about with tolerance of ambiguity, like d- building our muscle to be okay when we don't know the answer and not like Googling, like who was that actor in that movie? Just like be okay to not know the answer, which is uncomfortable. We hate ambiguity, right? Yes. Um, and so that's for A. And then N is for novelty, which is building new experiences and connecting with people that are not like us to I I imagine it like a universe of stars in our brain. So if you have a massive universe full of stars and planets of different experiences and relationships, when your default mode network is engaged, it's like a spaceship wanders around your universe, collecting experiences that you can't even like consciously imagine what's happening that comes up with a solution. So the more universe, the, the more stars and planets you have in your universe, the more ingredients your spaceship has to come up with unique combinations of uh, solutions yeah that's really cool I remember my last year in college I did college in three years for reasons that are not necessary to talk about here Um, and it wasn't really that helpful Um, but my last year of college I remember my last semester feeling like okay I finally have enough information on all of these different topics that I'm taking classes about to reference everything across subjects and to tie it all together and it, it was just happening without me thinking about it so that I can totally understand that concept. Yeah. And and so many people think creativity is this like random, uh, unique thought that no one's ever thought of. And it, it's that combination of experiences that makes it unique. It's not the actual idea. It's how you take that all that information and synthesize it into a unique um, idea. So. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And that, and that's so true. And actually that brings me back to um, a little segue um, about 
knowledge. So people think creativity is just like all like quote left brain or sorry, right brain. Mm -hmm. And it's all like divergent thinking. But for true creativity, yes, you need to have divergent thinking with like, you know, how are we going to get the unicorn to the moon? But we also need like if I'm if I'm a sculptor, I've spent my life knowing exactly how much pressure to put on that chisel and where I need to put it for the marble to chip away exactly where I want it to go, which is what you were kind of talking about with your courses. Like you still need that base of knowledge. Like I'm not inventing any new ways to drill oil in the Arctic. Like I have no idea. Right. <laughs> so that's one of the important things about creativity, I think, is this idea that having having that knowledge and that quote unquote left brain information is actually mm -hmm. a critical piece of creativity. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I love that. So okay. that was N. So novelty. Uh, yep. Novelty. C is for curiosity. So mm -hmm. that is like the foundation of creativity, because if you don't wonder how something could be different, why would you think of a new solution? So. Mm -hmm. Um, we're not often very curious, you know, even with people, um, when people are difficult, like wondering why might they be difficult instead of just like reacting like what a jerk, you know? Right. Um, so being curious about everything can lead to incredible creativity. Yeah. And then the last one, which is a bit hard, like I had to kind of try to get it into a single word is edit later. Okay. So I think this is the lowest hanging fruit for people who are not used to exploring their vulnerability by saying, I don't know the answer and how could things be different? Because we tend to edit, going back to your judgment comment, we tend to edit our ideas before we even say them because we think, oh, that's a dumb idea or that person kind of suggested this last week and everybody said it was like not feasible. Right. So, um, so we tend to edit our ideas before we say them and then we tend to try to make things perfect as we're creating them. So hmm. when we think about divergent and convergent thinking, those are both parts of creativity. Divergent is the one where we're imagining any possibility. There's 500 stories. Convergent is which story we're going to choose to develop further into our idea. And both of those are creativity, but people try to do them at the same time. Okay. So I love Dr. George Land, who was a very famous researcher. He did some research um, with NASA on a creativity test that he gave to kindergartners. Okay. And um, guess how many kindergartners scored as genius on this test? Oh, Percentage. Uh, all of them? Pretty much. It was like 98%. That's awesome. <laughs> and he followed those kids through. The sad part is I think he followed them through to like when they were 15, it was about 12% of those kids oh, gosh. scored. Okay. And then for adults, it's only 2%. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's this, it's, he has a great TED talk. If anyone's interested in that topic, you can go check yeah. that out. But he talked notes, podcast notes. Yeah, perfect. And in that talk, he talks about this idea of divergent and convergent creativity as the gas in the break. So okay. divergent can take you anywhere. Who knows what's going to happen? Where's the road going to take you? Convergent is the break, which stops you from hitting that girl guide in the crosswalk, right? They're both yeah. really important. Yes. But um, I take that a step further because uh, do you know what happens when you put the brake and the gas on the same time on a car, Ashlyn? I, I don't. You don't? Well, in Canada, we call it a brake stand. A I think you guys stand. call it a burnout. Oh, okay. Okay. So yep. when you slam the gas in the brake, like the tires are like spinning and there's right. smoke everywhere, but like the car is not moving. Yeah. So if there's one thing I would tell people to start with, it would be to stop burnouts or break stands in your brain and separate the two um, into def different times. Yeah. 
that makes sense. How, like, practically, what does that look like? Does that look like having two different, like, time segments? Or what does that look like? I think in, like, in a personal basis, it, it, it means, like, just knowing where you're at. That awareness, like we talked about being, like, I know I'm feeling uncertain here. And in, in a meeting or an organization, it's about safety, a safe place to say, we're ideating right now. Like, we're mm -hmm. thinking of ideas. There is no bad idea. Like, you know, let all the ideas out. And there's so much more to like effective brainstorming than that. But I think a lot of it is about delineating and making space for those two things clearly. So when you get into design thinking or creative problem solving, they separate those out into a, a formal process. Um, so in an organization, that's helpful. But even just knowing like, you know, nobody cares if I write a dumb idea down in my notebook. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking of ideas right now. There's no pressure to create the perfect idea right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's see if I can do this. Daydream, yep. ambiguity, novelty. Oh no, I'm stuck on C. What's C? Curiosity. Curiosity, that's I was trying to right. give you the and look. Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then edit later. I love edit that. Edit later, yes. What is this, do you really feel like this is for everyone and why? Well, it is for everyone because on a biological basis, it's an elemental human gift. We are mm -hmm. creative as a species. That's one of the things that makes us uniquely human. So if you think you're not creative because you're too sciencey or too left brain, science proves you wrong. So I find that kind of ironic that uh, we all have the capacity to be creative in our own unique way. Yeah. And I think if we take the pressure off, the creativity doesn't have to be artistic or performance, then people will own it more and they will give them that freedom and hopefully that uh, confidence to really double down on their unique way of expressing themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you have any, you mentioned a TED talk. Do you have any suggest, other suggestions for the reading? I can link to your, um, your website in the show notes so they can look at your book. Do you have suggestions for further reading podcasts, other things on this topic? I'm sure you have lots of thoughts, but I'd love I to know hear. it's hard. I knew I knew you were going to ask me this question, so I was trying to like skim down the list um, to a smaller list. But yeah, my book is called *The Reluctant Creative*. Um, one of the authors who I love is uh, Carrie Smith. I know it's a podcast, you can't, but you can see this, Ashlyn. Um, yeah. So she writes these amazing books that are. Um, experiential so you have to do activities Ooh, in them or right. one of them one of them is I think called wreck this book so she'll be like rip out this page nice. like just do it right yeah. so I love her books um there's another book uh by Felicia Day called embrace your weird which I really like especially if you're into like comic I think she's very like comic-con kind of okay I don't know she's an actress that's yeah. a great book if you want something um a little bit more serious Tina Selig um has a bunch of books on creativity um, and Natalie Nixon's book, The Creative Leap, is also a great book on creativity. That's awesome. Okay. I'm going to be writing those down. So I will check them out because I love, yeah, I love reading about creativity and just the different ways that people approach it and how, I mean, yeah, you can have a very scientific mind and your, your mind approaches creativity differently, but it's still creativity. And I just, I love that. And it's so important for us all to tap into. Thank well, you. as we wrap up here, Caroline, where can people find you on the internet? Probably my website is the easiest. It's carolinebrookfield.com. And you can find links to my book from there and some 
links to some of my speaking that I do and uh, I think a few clips of my stand-up comedy. And as you found, Ooh. Ashlyn, there's an Easter egg or a, <laughs> uh, a special um, thing if you can find it on the website. Uh, I don't know if you want to mention if you remember it. <laughs> yeah, the cat video in the footer. Yeah. I was like, I was doing research on her and I was like, okay, anyone that puts a cat video in the, the footer of their website is okay by me. <laughs> So. Well, it's funny because um, I can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. And okay. on my LinkedIn profile, I have something similar. So I have a job I did when I went backpacking through Australia and no one has ever mentioned it. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I just yeah. I put things in there for fun. Just, just keeps to see if anyone notices. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think, you know, not, not to, I know we're trying to wrap up here, but to yeah. me, at the end of the day, I like doing those things that are a little bit random because it helps you remember that nobody really cares what you do anyway. Mm. So you might yeah. as well just do what you want. Like nobody's paying that much attention to you as you think they are. Yeah. So just do the things you want to do and own it and life will be better. Well, that's a mic drop moment we can end on. Thanks for that. <laughs> I don't even have to wrap up here. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you, Caroline. It's been so fun to talk to you about creativity and just great to have you on. And we will talk to you all next week.